Well, Dave says my mic is still really bad, and he's going to fix it for me. Yes, thank you. Is that better? I don't want to too much in the mic. Thank you. So, <clears throat> this morning, it's really a pre- pleasure to be with you. If you couldn't tell, Matt is out of town, and so I'm going to be preaching for him today. As we continue to spotlight prayer this morning, we're going to be studying from the book of Colossians, the letter that Paul wrote to the church at Colossia. And we're going to be looking uh, in chapter 1, verses 9 and following. So if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and turn there now. If you need one, there are several in the aisles. And if you don't have a Bible, we'd be glad for you to take that home with you. The topic of our time this morning is going to be praying for other people. Praying for other people. And the outline is actually pretty straightforward. We're going to take a passage from the Bible where the Apostle Paul prays for people. We're going to look at what he said. We're going to meditate on that so that we can learn how to pray for people. Now, before I um, read the text for us this morning, I just want to give a word of personal testimony about it. This prayer from the letter of or the letter to the Colossians, has been one of the most influential uh, parts of Scripture in my own journey towards learning to pray for people. But more than that, it's also been one of the most influential passages on my journey to knowing God more deeply. I'm going to say a little bit more about that later, but I'm excited to share it with you this morning. Not just as a template for how to pray for people, but because of what I've seen in my own life over the last several years, I'm excited to share it as a template for how to grow in your knowledge of God. See, the reason I say that is that I think I've learned in the last several years that prayer isn't a means to an end of getting what I think I need. Prayer is a means that God uses to relate to his people. Prayer is knowing God. And learning to pray means learning to know God. And that is why this passage has been so important to me in my spiritual life and why I'm excited to share it with you this morning because I don't just want you to know how to pray. What I really want for you is to know God. I happen to see those things as the same. And that's why I'm excited to talk about Colossians, which has been so instrumental for me. So if you'll stand with me in honor of God's word, I'm going to read to us from Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 and following. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So as I mentioned, the outline is pretty straightforward this morning. We're going to look at what Paul prays and we're going to learn how to pray for other people through that. And Paul prays for three things in this passage. He prays for understanding, he prays for action, 
and he prays for strength. We're just going to take those one at a time. Understanding, action, and strength. Still not perfect on the mic, sorry. We're going to work through it. Look to verse 9 in chapter 1. It says, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Paul prays that people would be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And on the face of that, that is a beautifully simple prayer. God, I pray for my friends that they would know what you want for their life. You please pray that for me. That's a beautiful prayer. God, I pray that my friends would know what you want for their life. But there's a depth to this prayer that I think doesn't come off on the surface when you read it the first time. It's not just that we're praying for knowledge of what to do in a particular circumstance. That's a beautiful thing to pray for. Lord, help my friend Eric know whether to take job A or B. Help him to know whether to move to city A or B. No worries, I don't think Eric is moving. He's been in Nashville a long time. That's why I picked him. That's a great thing to pray for understanding of God's will in particular circumstance. But I think what Paul is getting at here is deeper than understanding in a particular circumstance. I think what Paul is praying for is that we would understand our lives in reference to the truth of the gospel. That we would see our lives and our situations in reference to the great story of redemption that God is writing. In reference to the fabric of God's plan for humanity. It means seeing your life in view of the gospel. Now, before I give you a couple of examples to illustrate that point, we have the great benefit of seeing the gospel clearly articulated for us in this passage. So I want to read it because this is the reference point that we need to understand our lives in reference to. It comes in verses 13 and 14. It says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is one of my favorite statements of the gospel in all of the Bible. It's so beautifully clear. Before we believed in Jesus, we were under the domain of darkness. We were slaves to sin and under the power of death and suffering. When we believe in Jesus, he redeems us. He pays for us. He forgives our sins and we are picked up out of the domain of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son. When we have faith in Jesus, we are given a new citizenship in the kingdom of heaven. We are no longer slaves to the domain of darkness anymore. We're no longer subject to the rules and the economy of the domain of darkness, but we have a new way, a new economy a new citizenship. Friends, that is the beautiful truth of the gospel and that is how Paul wants us to view our lives. You see, the prayer for the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom is meant as a prayer to understand our lives in reference to the truth of the gospel, that through faith in Jesus we are no longer belonging to the kingdom of darkness. So we're free to live and think like we belong to the kingdom of light. Let me give you a few examples. I was thinking this week about 
um, some friends at Trinity over the years who've had really difficult relationships at work. Really hard relationships where people are not kind and they don't listen and they are, uh, make working really challenging. I think all of us probably know, either have someone at work like that or know someone who's in a relationship at work like that. And I think the prayer for that person goes something like this. God, please help me or my friend remember that Joe doesn't know Jesus. Help him remember that Joe is in the kingdom of darkness. Would you help my friend reflect the light of Jesus so that Joe might believe and be transferred into the kingdom of your son? God, thank you for the opportunity that my friend has to love this person in a way that reflects Jesus. Give my friend patience and kindness. Help him to forgive and be long-suffering in the way that he loves Joe. See, the prayer becomes less about me or my friend in that situation and our particular challenges. God, it's so unfair. How could you let my friend go through this? That's okay, too. But I think praying for the knowledge of God's will and spiritual understanding is about refocusing our circumstances on the truth of the gospel. So the prayer becomes more about the reality that either we belong to the kingdom of light or we belong to the kingdom of darkness. That's what our prayers need to focus on. We need to see that reality and see how each of our situations fits into that. Now, there's no one-size-fits-all answer to how your particular situation fits into that truth, but that's what we're praying for people. That's what you're called to pray for people in your small group. God, we don't know what it looks like right now, but we pray that we could understand what's going on in light of your gospel, in light of the truth that we are no longer subject to the domain of darkness. Help us to see that and to taste it and to love it and to know it. That's what praying for understanding of God's will and spiritual understanding means. Let me give you another example. This one comes from Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. If you want to flip over just a page, you can. It says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. This is something I pray for all of you who are at Vanderbilt all the time. See, those of us that work in academia, I include myself in this, have this um, temptation to succumb to the philosophy of the world that we work in. I don't think that's unique to academia. I just happen to taste that at Vanderbilt, and so I pray it for all of you who are there too. You see, we see people who we respect professionally, even our mentors, people we need to graduate, people we need to get promoted. And they put forward a particular way of looking at the world. And because we want to please them, maybe because we need them, we're not quite as vocal about how believing in Jesus might help us look at the world differently. I think after a while, we start believing what they believe. We start thinking that our value is measured by our success or our failure. We think that our value is measured by how hard we work or what we produce. In that moment, we forget that we belong to the new kingdom where our value is no longer measured by what we've done but what Christ has done for us. We live in a new kingdom with new rules and a new economy. So when I pray for people, to have knowledge of God's will and understanding, I'm praying, Lord, don't let them be captive to the philosophy of the world. It is so empty. 
remind them that they belong to your kingdom. I think we could probably give several examples here, but for the sake of time, I'm just going to sum up the first point. The first thing that Paul prays for people is that they would have spiritual wisdom and understanding, that they would be filled with the knowledge of his will. And that means praying for people to see their lives in reference to the gospel, the truth that we no longer belong to the kingdom of darkness. But because Jesus has paid our ransom, we have been given a new citizenship in God's kingdom. God, help us to grow in that knowledge. Help us to see our lives in reference to that truth. Now, the second thing that Paul prays for after understanding is action. Look to verse 10. It says, Praise these things so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. So the first part about that is I need to tell you what I think walking in a manner worthy of the Lord means. Walking here is meant to represent the manner in which we live our lives. It's a way of characterizing the path that we take throughout our lives. I think there are lots of examples of this throughout the Bible, but it's pretty intuitive to most of us. We get that walking the walk is different than talking the talk if you're a child of the 90s. And, you know, walking means the way that you live. It's your actions that define you, right? It's not just what you say or what you think. And Paul here is praying for our actions. He's praying that we would walk, we would live in a way that's worthy of the Lord. Now, before I dive into that a little bit more, I want to take a quick aside and just remind you that in the Bible, knowledge and action are always tied together. You can see it again in verse 10. He prays that we would both walk in a manner worthy of the Lord and increase in the knowledge of God. These two things go hand in hand. They're inextricably linked. You can't have one without the other. And I would just encourage you, as you think about your life and your ministry, to consider which side of that balance you tend to fall on. See, I think some of us tend to favor the thinking and the growing in the knowledge. We focus on theology. We focus on knowing um, the doctrines of God's word. And we surround ourselves with people who are like-minded. And we tend to sort of think about action as an afterthought. We sort of only occasionally do things to serve people. Or maybe we don't even do things to serve people. On the other hand, you can really value action. And that can lead to uh, serving people in a way that's empty of the gospel. You sort of see service as the chief end and sort of divorce that from the theology of God and the fact that it advances the gospel. And I don't really want to be critical or, or spend too much time here. I just want to invite you to see that that the Bible doesn't really emphasize one or the other over each other. We tend to do that. The Bible always talks about these things together, that knowledge of God's will and serving people always go together. I think that's important to see here, but just a quick aside in the way that we're learning to pray for each other today. So we come back then to the question of what does he mean when he says praying that we would walk in a manner that's worthy of the Lord? Well, let me tell you what he doesn't mean. First, he doesn't mean that if you act in a certain way or live out your life in a certain way that you can earn God's favor. He doesn't mean that if you walk in that manner that's worthy of the Lord that then you're going to get citizenship in that kingdom. We've already seen in verses 13 and 14 that the only way to get entrance into the kingdom of God is through Jesus. 
The only way to come out of the domain of darkness is to be picked up by the redemption of Jesus and transferred into this kingdom. So he doesn't mean walk in a manner that's worthy of the Lord to earn favor with God. I think what it means is, since you already belong to the kingdom of God, why don't you act like it? We're praying that we would live in a way that reflects the fact that we already belong to the kingdom of God. Let me give you an example. When I uh, was growing up, my father was a a city council member in the small suburb north of uh, Chicago where I lived. He was also... uh, the treasurer for one of the state political parties. Both of my parents taught in the high school system in my city, and then when I was in high school, my mom taught at one of the sister high schools. The point is, everybody knew my parents. I mean, everybody knew my parents. And there was a real sense in which the way that I acted reflected the name that my parents had made for themselves, right? I had to live in a manner that was worthy of being called a human. I had to honor that responsibility. And when I didn't, more than one person said to me, what would your parents say about that? Is that really what your parents would want for you? It was clear that I wasn't living in a way that my parents had sort of established our family name in our city. um, Important to say that More than once, I did not honor my family name in our city, and I didn't lose my place in my family. Nor did I earn my place in my family by honoring the way that I, or by living in a certain way. That was set. I was already part of my family. What I was called to do was live in a way that reflected that standard. Now, I think that's what this means here. Walk in a way that reflects the standard of who you are. That's what he's praying for people. And he gives three examples of what that would actually look like. The first one is endurance. The second one is patience. And the third one is joyful thanksgiving. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. What does that look like? Endurance, patience, joyful thanksgiving. Now, endurance here really means perseverance in faith. Paul is praying that people would persevere in their faith. This is a beautiful thing to pray for people. If you don't know how to pray for people, pray this for them. You don't have to know what's going on with them to pray this for them. You don't have to know anything about them to pray for perseverance in faith. God, would you help my friend who is suffering right now not doubt your goodness? Would you help her find faith in the midst of despair? God, keep her strong as she waits for you to come again. God, give her perseverance in her faith. God, for Fernando who just saw his mother die a painful death. Would you help him not question his faith, but persevere through that suffering? God, for the Christians who are in China, who are not even allowed to celebrate Christmas, help them to persevere in the midst of persecution. Help them not to be held captive by the philosophy of the government, but persevere in their faith as they grow in the knowledge of what you want for their lives. You don't even have to know anybody to pray that people could persevere in their faith. The second thing that characterizes a life that is worthy of the Lord is patience. This one is patience with people. So endurance, perseverance, and faith. Number two is patience with people. God, help us to be patient with one another. 
Would you give us a love that is patient? Give us a love that doesn't keep record, that's slow to anger, abounding in joy. Help us to be long-suffering in our love. Pray for parents. Please pray for parents to be patient. Give my friends who are having a hard time with their children patience with them. Help them to be patient as they work through the stormy season with their daughter. Help them to remember that her soul matters. Help them not to view themselves as failures, but to view themselves as your children. Help them to wait for you to work in their lives. God, help them to be patient with their daughter by remembering that you have been patient with them. The third thing that Paul prays for as a, as a mark of a manner of a living a life and that's worthy of the Lord is joyful thanksgiving. Now, I want to give you a quick grammar comment here about the commas in this sentence. I know those of you who love grammar uh, will love this. He prays for three things in verse 11, that we would be strengthened for endurance, patience, and giving thanks to the Father. And the question is, where does the joy go? Some people put the comma after patience. So we're praying for endurance and patience and joyful thanksgiving. I think that's the right way to interpret it. The other way is to pray for endurance and patience with joy and thanksgiving. So let me just say a quick word. Go ahead and pray for people to have patience with joy. That is beautifully biblical. Please pray it for me. That's wonderful. It just doesn't happen to be what Paul is praying right here. Okay? He's praying for joyful thanksgiving. That's okay. That's a wonderful thing to pray too. I actually happen to think we get this one. This morning I was listening as Drew was leading our prayer of people who were giving thanks to God for his mercy and his steadfastness. And I know you all are suffering. I know it. So for you to even have a heart of thanksgiving where you could utter a prayer like that is the work of God in your life. And it's the thing that we need to pray for for each other. That in the midst of suffering, in the midst of death, in the midst of doubt and pain and despair, that we could find a heart that is thankful. Thankful for what? Thankful for the fact that we have been transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That's what we need thankful hearts for. Oh, we need to pray that for each other, don't we? Now, the last thing that Paul prays for is strength to do it. This is a good thing. Verse 11, it says, May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. I think the things that we just talked about praying for, walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, endurance and faith, patience, particularly if you're a parent, and joyful thanksgiving in the midst of suffering, that is a totally overwhelming and unattainable goal. I think those prayers are actually remarkably discouraging if you don't have God's strength to ensure it. I am not praying, God, give my friend his own strength to persevere in his faith. Give him his own strength to be patient. You've got no chance at that. And I think it's discouraging if you are praying that for people. They will be discouraged. I wonder if you caught this. Pray, pray for people to walk in a manner worthy of who? 
the Lord. Y'all, living up to my parents' expectations was easy compared to living up to the expectations of the Lord God Almighty. In fact, I want this to sit with us for just a minute. We are praying a remarkable thing for people. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord? Let me read to you from Colossians verses 15 and following, just to get a sense of the standard to which we're being held. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Now, I don't know which of those things strike you as the most holy or the most unattainable. Could it be that he was the creator of all things? And not only did he create them, but they were created through him and for him. I don't know if it strikes you that in Jesus, all things hold together. Does it strike you that he is the firstborn from the dead, that he is preeminent? That in Jesus, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. That he made peace for all of creation through his blood on the cross. That is the standard that we are praying that we would walk in a manner worthy of. Oh my. Friends, if we are left to do that for ourselves, it is hopeless. But you see, the promise of Christianity is that there is in fact hope at the end of our hopelessness. Because in as much as we are held and praying to the standard of God's almighty power, it is also that same power that we appeal to to work in our lives. You see, the idea of an infinite and personal God is one whose infinite power is wholly indifferent, but whose infinite power is applied to those who have faith in Jesus. And so the same power that created the universe is the power that Paul is praying for to help you have patience with people. The same power that, that raised Jesus from the dead and helped him to conquer sin and death is the same power that holds you fast when you are persevering in your faith. The same power that holds all things together in Jesus is the power that we are praying for, that we might have joyful hearts and thanksgiving. Christianity doesn't promise that we're not going to suffer or despair or doubt. just promises that, our, that there's hope at the end of that hopelessness. See, I don't know what drives you to pray, but in my life it's been weakness that's driven me to pray. Hopelessness drives me to pray when I'm at the end of myself, when I can't see the solution, when I feel lost, when I see that in my friends, pain, suffering, despair, and when I can't do anything about it, and when they can't do anything about it, that is what drives me to pray for them. I pray out of my weakness, God, the creator of all things, the reconciler of humanity, you are powerful enough. Would you give them the power to persevere in faith? Give them the power to be patient. Give them the power to taste joyful thanksgiving. God, their fingers are slipping 
I can't hold on to them. Would your almighty hand keep a tight grip so that they don't slip? See, that's the promise of the gospel. The promise of the gospel when you believe in Jesus is not only that you will one day see him in his full glory and be a citizen of his kingdom, but that you are a citizen of his kingdom now, right now, today. And in that, there is hope at the end of your hopelessness. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says this, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. You see, friends, the power of prayer comes in acknowledging your weakness and praying that God's strength would accomplish his end in your life. Paul prays for people. He says, Lord, out of your strength could they grow and be filled with all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Out of your strength, could they walk in a manner that's worthy of you? Out of your strength, could they persevere in faith and be patient with one another? Out of your strength, could they find joyful thanksgiving? You know, the truth of the matter is, praying for people is hard. Praying for people is hard. I think 10 years ago, I didn't actually pray for people because I didn't know how. Really, the only time I ever prayed for people was in public settings when it would have been socially unacceptable not for me, for me not to pray for people or awkward. And a lot of times what that looked like was I would just repeat something that I'd heard somebody say and sounded pretty good so that I just didn't embarrass myself when I was praying. I didn't pray for people. Not like this. What changed was that I had some friends go to China as missionaries. And I realized that I needed to pray for them because there wasn't anything that I could do other than that. And so I didn't know how. I asked a friend. He said, why don't you open the Bible and pray one of Paul's prayers for them? I thought that was as good as any. So I opened up to this passage here that we're talking about today. And I just started reading it. I just said, for Chris. I just thought, Chris. And then I read. I didn't add anything to it. And then I saw Sarah, his wife, and I read it. I did that for a long time because I still didn't know how to pray. just read it over and over again. And I'll tell you that over time, I got a taste for praying for people. I would start to add things to it. I would start to realize how their particular situation could be mapped onto what Paul was praying for them here. I started to learn to pray, and I started to love praying for other people. But not only that, I started talking to God. I said at the beginning that I think prayer is knowing God. My heart was changed by praying for my friends, just starting by reading this, because I submitted myself to the Lord. I learned about him. I started knowing him, and I started praying for people, not just my friends in China. So my encouragement to you this morning, if you don't know how to pray, is don't be embarrassed by that. I didn't know how to pray. If you don't pray for people and you want to, pray this for them. Just read it. 
out loud. Think of somebody's name and read it out loud. That is going to be a way that you learn to pray. But friends, let me tell you, it is also the way that you are going to come to know God Almighty. If you don't feel that way this morning, if you feel tired of faith, if you feel pain or suffering or anger, if you don't even know if there is a God, my encouragement to you is to try to pray to him, to come before him and talk to him. And if you don't know how, then I'm going to be praying this for you. Will you pray with me? Father, from the day we have heard, we have not ceased to pray to you. I pray for the people in this room, every one of them, that they would be filled with the knowledge of your will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Help them to remember and to know and to taste that they no longer belong to the kingdom of darkness, but through faith in Jesus they've had their sins paid for and belong to the kingdom of your beloved Son in whom they have redemption. God, fill them with your knowledge so that they might walk in a manner that is worthy of you, fully pleasing to you, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May they be strengthened with all power according to your glorious might for all endurance and patience, joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified them to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. God, you have delivered us. You have delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Amen.